Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Ian Flux. Been very lucky to race for 49 years, been involved with Formula One and many other forms of all angles of motorsport. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Hello, I'm John Marker, and welcome to this week's Driven Chat podcast. I'm Mars Lacey. And also welcome to this week's. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, dear listeners, boys and girls, whoever you are, we thought we'd say a very quick hello ahead of this week's episode, which, as you heard from there in the introduction, is with the wonderful racing driver and a bit of a character, Mr. Ian Flux. Now, Ian is joining us this week uh, because he's written a book and it's a very good book. It's a very interesting book. It's very animated and includes lots of interesting stories about his career and things outside his career as well. The book is called For Flux's Sake. His surname is Flux. So yes, For Flux's Sake. And you'll note that that's a particularly good play on words, very close to some colourful language. And I thought I'd mention here, whilst we are going to do our best to do a bit of editing in this, this is certainly going to be a podcast that's going to be perhaps a little... A little raw for little ears, shall we say. So if you are listening, perhaps in the car with the family, then maybe now is the time to just cancel this one and perhaps just reserve it for when the younger ears aren't around. Um, That is, I assume, if you don't want to have lots of questions like, what does he mean by that, Daddy? Yeah. Uh, Because there's going to be a few of those, I imagine. But also, 
I thought it was important beforehand, before we get that little disclaimer in, it's important that we set the scene uh, to explain who Ian is and what he's been doing. So, Miles, this is effectively your guest. You've um, you've very kindly arranged Ian to come in to see us today. So why don't you give us a quick overview of, of who Ian is, what he's been doing, and what makes him so significant in the racing world. Rightly so, yeah. So Ian Flux is maybe a name that you've heard of, possibly not, but certainly within motorsport circles, if you mention the name Ian Flux, most people will shiver or run away because <laughs> they'll go oh no because they often most uh, most people uh, in the industry have probably got a, a story that shared with him they might be slightly embarrassed about <laughs> however um ian is a much love race much loved racing driver uh, his career spanned over 40 years starting in 1972 racing for nearly 50 years, which is a hell of an achievement. Mm. Uh, in that time, five national championships in Britain, including Formula V and British GT. Um, and as he will tell us later on in the podcast, drove an enormous variety of cars, over 600 in fact, uh, from open wheelers to sports cars, sedans and GTs, all the way up to Formula One. And pretty much, if it's got wheels, it seems like he's had a go in it at some point. So that is Mr. Ian Flux. And... Um, Best of luck with the podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. I remind you again, if you have got young listeners anywhere near, now is the time to just pop this onto the reserve list for later. Uh, It's not going to be suitable for younger ears. Um, As I say, we've tried to edit it to be clean, but there might be a few swear words that have slipped through and there are certainly going to be a number of stories that are going to be quite difficult to explain to the innocent minds of our children. Don't don't listen to it whilst you're in church because the water will start boiling. <laughs> That's also very, very true. Uh, but you are going to enjoy this. So uh, do enjoy. Listener discretion is advised. And uh, yes, enjoy the episode. The Driven Chat Podcast. So, uh, Ian, firstly, thank you for joining us. One of the things that I like to do, I do this with almost every guest that we have that comes in, is just to kind of help our listener build up a picture of who you are and and how you got to where you are. I like exploring the very sort of early memories that you might have that's essentially got you to where you are today. So do you have like a core memory as far back as you can think, be that as a child or even as a toddler, that might be that little light bulb moment that ultimately got you in racing cars and got you to where you are now i've got two one as a six-year-old and one as a 17-year-old perfect six-year-old i had no idea we lived on a farm and when i came home from school on my sixth birthday there was a go-kart and it was mine and luckily we had about a mile and a half of tarmac through the farm and i went up and down on that go-kart thousands and thousands of times absolutely loved it when I was 17, I did, really didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. I was racing at that point, but no, no idea what I went wanted to do with my life. I got flung out of college for being an idiot, and the guy who owned the garage uh, suggested it wasn't a good idea to, that he could keep me on at the garage. So he had a friend who had a Formula One racing team, which was then three people. I was the fourth member, not f***ing 600. So we, we actually all knew each other. And... I was there on my third day and it was a light bulb moment. I just thought, this is what I want to do. So that's my two memories. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant memories. I love hearing those stories because it does help build up that picture of why and how and 
where journeys began and it's always fascinating to hear where it all started i guess we should we should definitely reference this book and i find it what one of the things that was really interesting is just before we hit record you mentioned that there was a whole list of stories and anecdotes that ended up on the cutting room floor that perhaps didn't make didn't make it into the book for various reasons and i hope we get to explore some of those well let's hope so <laughs> uh, but i thought a good starter miles has got the book in front of him he's got the blurb on the back so miles if you'd like to do your best voiceover voice and read that blurb well indeed i will and what i would say is um to preface the preface when the news that mr ian flux was going to be writing a book Word spread across the industry that this was happening, and lots of people went, "Oh dear, I hope I'm not. I hope I'm included in it, but in the most sanitary manner." Yeah, there was a lot of people <laughs> themselves. So, so many people I know went, and I'd never met you. Yeah, I'd heard of you. I'd never met you. So many friends went. Ian's writing a book. I'm quite nervous about that. Yeah. <laughs> They're all the guilty people. All the guilty people for sure. What we wanted to do at the back of the book. But the um, publishers decided not to. It was all those people, the aforementioned people, are on about? Yeah. Just to do a list with nothing, just to list the names. Nice. And so I could say, "Oh, you're in the book," and they're going, "No," <laughs> and then just see there, like a class list. They're all looking to yeah. possibly yeah. escape the country. Yeah. Or looking um, for a lawyer. <laughs> so, so the the image on the front's fantastic. The book's called "For Flux' Sake," uh, which is a fantastic play on words. And the image on the cover is a uh, is you sat on the tire of a for- Formula One Formula car, One car uh, with a can of beer in your hand and a fag and a fag, <laughs> um, and it reads beers, fags, and opposite lock, That's which good. I think is if we needed three words to best describe your life, yeah. Clearly, they're the three that we're going to use. Uh, um, that is a wonderful photo because it was such an emotional day for me. That's the car I worked on as a 19-year-old boy at Graham Hills. And that was the car that I'd been testing when the accident happened in November 1975 when they were all killed on Graham's plane. Yes. The car was obviously all built. And then to celebrate or remember 30 years on, I got to drive that car at Dijon. And that was the shot that was directly I got out of the car. That's why my helmet's on the front wing after I'd finished having my 10 laps in it. That's fantastic. And I had tears in my eyes, I can assure you. Yeah, all made better by having a can of beer. Um, so I shall quickly, I'll quickly read uh, what's on the back here. So contrary to popular belief, Fluxy, as you're affectionately known, did not enter the world on full opposite lock, nor did he have a cigarette in one hand and a pint in the other. Destined to race... He never got the biggest breaks, but he did become one of the mot- one of motorsports' most colourful and best-loved characters. Someone who has always lived life to the full. His autobiography tells, tells it how it was, covering not only the highs, including five championship titles, but also the many setbacks. Along the way, we laugh with him about much of it, particularly the pranks, but also learn about some dark times that he never previously divulged. This is a very... Kind, this is a very different kind of driver's memoir. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it? Isn't <laughs> it? I, I, I feel like I want to rip the packaging off it now and have a good go at it. Um, you can for 25 quid. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I would add as well that the picture of you on the, on the back uh, is, you wearing, uh, is you wearing some overalls and flipping the bird at the camera. Yeah, and that... Uh, that... We won Nagaro, uh, the World Sports Car 
that's winning the world last ever world sports car race Brilliant. in 2003 Brilliant. well if i don't, if there if there was any some prose uh, or copy to drag you into reading a book then i think maybe that is it yeah for sure for sure so you alluded there in in your um, your description of that particular photograph on the front cover there, uh, which I'd just like to explore a little bit. So um, would I be right in then in saying that you your entry into the world of motorsport was on the technician side rather than the, the driving side? Is that uh, right? No, uh, I'd started racing Formula 6 as a 13-year-old uh-huh. and then progressed when I passed my driving test at 17 to Formula V. Yeah. So I was already racing. Got it. But only, obviously... At, Club level, yeah. Um, yeah. At, at that period, and Perfect. the job just aligned with what you know, finding out what I actually wanted to do. I certainly didn't want to be a bloody apprentice mechanic in, no. a, in a BMC garage because <laughs> I used to cause too much havoc. <laughs> Still do, apparently. So, I suppose a, 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 a quick place to start. You gave us the intro, but what you know was the aspiration from a young age to become a racing driver. Yes, I can remember clearly going to Brands Grand Prix circuit and I think it was 1966 and I'd be 10 and we were watching Jim Clark go up onto the Grand Prix loop off the club circuit through South Bank, (laughs) as it was called then, and the front wheel coming off of Jim Clark's Cortina and I can remember clearly saying to Dad, that's what I'm going to do. Brilliant. (laughs) And he looked at me and went, really? Yeah. (laughs) That's At least he said that and, oh, no, you're not. Yeah, no, <laughs> Dad was very, very, very supportive. Brilliant. I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for my mum and dad in the early years paying for my karting and early racing. So, you know, there was always encouragement to, to do it. But instantly I got to Formula 3, there was absolutely no support because they weren't in that ballpark of, of course, money. Yeah, of course. Well, as, as, we were, as we were just quickly talking before before we started recording... We were talking about, you know, our respective um, racing careers and whatnot and how different it is, so significantly different to, of course, when you started versus where we are now. Yeah. But the thing I find fascinating is that you've been racing for 49 years. Yeah. And you said only this year is the first year you haven't renewed your race license. Yeah, I, I second year, sorry. Second year. Uh, but I, I'd retired at the start of 2019. Sure. Uh, from... From racing, not from having a go. Yeah. But, you know, if, you, if, you, if somebody said, would you like a few laps in that lovely Ferrari, I'm not going to say, no, I've retired. But absolutely no racing. And that, once I said no, that was, that was the end of it. So 50 years, you know, we, we can consider that you've probably seen quite a few things during that yeah. time. Is there anything that sticks out in your very, in your early career that was quite formative into, you know, what was essentially a very fantastic racing career. Yeah, Piccadilly Toilets, and that, that stuck out quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> really? I was a rent boy. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, You're not was, joking, are you? No, no. I'd managed to cover it up for years, but um, I got um, caught in a police sting in Piccadilly Toilets. And uh, had to go to Maribyrn Magistrates Court for the, uh, for soliciting, and I'm go to the court and I'm looking down the list, and um, there's a tap on the shoulder and uh, Tim Lee Davy who used to race, uh, he made his name. Uh, do you remember the Big Time Program um, in the seventies? And Esther Sheena Easton was the first big time person, yeah. right? And obviously working nine to five and all that. And the following week, it was Tim being a racing driver. 
but Tim also trained to be a lawyer. Uh-huh. Uh, so he had something to fall back on. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm at Marylebone Magistrates Court and there's a tap on the shoulder. Oh, hello, Tim. And he said, oh, what are you here for, Fluxy? I said, oh, seeding in. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll come in and help you. I'll get you fine reduced or something. And he said, well, you're in this court here. It says soliciting. That's not speeding. So <laughs> obviously that's when the, the cover was all blown. Nah. So uh, I got away with it for years. But then uh, then it all came out. <laughs> wow. Jesus Christ. Well, there we go. I'm going to add that so, to my uh, list of things I didn't expect to hear in this I, I, I was normally try and get 250 quid a week, which would buy the tyres for the weekend. So when you were saying about the price of your tyres... <laughs> To get three grand a week, you, yeah. you, you're going to have to have some customers. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. I, right. I can feel. I can feel the DMs coming in already. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I'm going to get so. I'm going to get in so much pain for this. Anyway, this is already a great start. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm very, very fortunate that I don't have to uh, do any soliciting uh, for tyres these days. <laughs> these well, you're days. A these days. Yeah, you're yeah. a good-looking boy. <laughs> Get me out of here. Yeah, if I was a bit younger. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Has this got an ejector seat attached to it? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, we're off to a flying start there, Ian. Um, well, that is not a traditional route into motorsport. No, it was a supportive route. Um, I'd, I'd done two really good seasons and full budget of Formula 3 in 76 and 77. Yeah. And then the, I lost my sponsor and we, I had a few people helping me out to do 78. And I met this guy who was a butler uh, for a mate of mine who was doing Sports 2000. And Michael, I've oh, gone really well with him. He said, look, I can show you the ropes of uh, topping up your budget a bit. And <laughs> I was away. Christ. But I'd obviously had lots of experience at school because uh, if you read in the book, you know, I was uh, heavily involved with the housemaster who uh, abused quite a few of us and uh, he then got caught much later in life and is still in prison at this moment. Oh, so. wow. Well, I did so read that. I, did I had that, uh, yeah. I had some skills about what um, being a rent boy involved, so it wasn't all strange. Christ. I mean, you, you know, you talk about it quite, you know... Uh, ton- I'm going to say, there's, there's so many double entendres here. <laughs> Quite tongue-in-cheek now. <laughs> yeah. um, but I can imagine, you know, at the, the time that would have been a rather traumatic experience. Well, it's how I, I was never hurt. So, you know, uh, maybe mentally, but mm. I, I don't think so. I think I tried to use it to my advantage. Well, clearly, because then you fast-forward into doing uh, racing professionally. And is finding the budget then becoming... Is that as difficult, or is actually is it starting to come more readily? No, it's not. I, 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 luckily, I had a reasonable name by the time I was really looking for drives all the time. Yeah. And so no, it was. I never had to sort of drop to my knees and resort to Piccadilly again. Great. <laughs> well, thank God for that. Oh, I, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> That's important as well, I guess. There you go. <laughs> John's lost for words. Yes, it's incredible. Yes, it's going to be a, it's going to be a unique podcast. I can tell. It will. These are my favourites. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So then, let's let's explore then that that route into it. And once things started to, uh, as you say, the the requirements for for the role got easier. I think there's a there's a politically correct way of saying it. Shall we say? Um, how was that journey from that point onwards? Because, of course, motorsport today is, is so different, isn't it? If you yeah. want to get into, if you want any high hopes getting into F1, 
ideally your parents need to be multi 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 millionaires yeah. by the sounds of things like, you need uh, to be Lando and Lando. Lance yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, that does help yeah well healed yeah can you remember what the um what was it like back then in your in, in your era getting into that and with it I guess the target for everyone's always I'd like to get into an F1 car well I, I just like racing and I really it, I, I didn't have an ambition to be a Formula One driver I thought if it presented itself, that would be lovely, but sadly it didn't, mm. only because I was such a knob off the track. Well, <laughs> pardon the pun. That <laughs> 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 I, w- I let myself down, and basically I love to party, still do, and uh, I went for the Unipart drive with Nigel Mansell in 79 and uh, with Dave Price, who was going to run, so it was going to be Brett Riley and hopefully me or Nigel Mansell, and Nigel got the, the deal. And years later, one of the blokes from Hierarchy from Union Park, he said, do you know what, Fluxy, when you came for that interview with Nigel, he said, remember you'd let the fire extinguisher off (laughs) over the snooker table in that posh hotel? (laughs) He said, I couldn't justify to my board who I'd told about this because you weren't anything to do with us then. Oh, we've employed the bloke who's let the fire extinguisher off over the the snooker table. (laughs) So, you know, I've made a great habit of shooting myself in the foot. Jesus, yeah, clearly. Um... (laughs) It's always important to be remembered, though, isn't it? So there oh, you yeah, go. Whether, yeah, yeah. whether you do that through uh, sheer performance and, and impressiveness or you do that because you happen to... Well, as you're in the industry, John, yeah. um, it's your job. There's no, no such thing as bad publicity. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Well, well, yeah, I mean, you know, exactly right. You, he, I think there's. we are so used to now seeing, you know, super media-trained sort of vanilla personalities, aren't yeah. we? That when somebody comes along that actually shakes the tree a little bit, we go, "Oh, yeah. oh, that reminds us of yeah. you know how it used to be." Yeah, when ex- people used to have fun. Exactly. Uh, tell us, do, those kind of romantic notions that we have of the sixties and seventies, you know, um, everything, uh, you know, a bit, a bit careless, a bit rogue, you know, drinking until late late into the night before racing the next day. Yeah. Is that is that exactly how it was? Absolutely. Oh, it was great fun. Everybody did it. Like, even up to when I was doing Tuscans in the 90s, TVR liked the camaraderie of us all and always stuck us in that, all of us in the same hotel that yeah. they were paying for. Mm. And so we'd all go on the piss. So you all turned up equal for qualifying, <laughs> you know, <laughs> 10 pints and still on pole. Beat you. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the idea of yeah, like perhaps being sat in a driver's briefing the following morning, looking around and just watching everyone like, oh god, yeah, you know they're absolutely Did I? <laughs> hanging out. Yeah, but I, I heard the other day that even British touring mar- British touring car mechanics now get breathalysed in the morning. Is that right? And you think, wow. what the f- going on here? Yeah. The world's gone mad. Well, yeah, uh, well, yeah, everything. I think so. People are so worried now, aren't they, about. Um, you know, something coming out in the media or whatever. Yeah, thank God I've retired. <laughs> I was going to say, someone, you know, to be brutally honest, someone like you now w- just wouldn't stand a chance, would you? Well, my first experience of breathalyzing stuff in racing, when I, I raced for three races in Japan in 93 and, and a BMW M3, and they were long races, so I had two Japanese teammates and me, and the Japanese teammates didn't drink, and you used to have to go to the doctors in the morning and piss in a bottle. Mm. And they do the test, and they just used to give me you know, like they come out and give me their sample to go in with because they get you, wow. you never pass fluxy, <laughs> use ours. <laughs> <laughs> God. 
It's amazing. Like you say, Miles, you know, you look at, uh, let's take Formula One as the example now, and there's been a lot of criticism, isn't there, over the past, I'd say even over the past 10 years or so, where the drivers, who are of course the stars of the show, and we've been, we, Formula One has been glamorized through things like Netflix documentaries, and yet the true personalities, or, or certainly, actually, maybe wrong choice of words there, the represented personalities that are shown on the television shows or in the press conferences, even, they are so robotic. There's just no yeah. personality to them. And they must hate doing them, John. Oh, God, absolutely. You can yeah. see the look on their face and go, what a poxy question. Surely, I'll yeah. give yeah. it a poxy answer. Surely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But then also not wanting to say the wrong thing. Thing in case they then oh, get yeah. attacked on the shoulder yeah. from their sponsor going, oh, we didn't actually like the way you answered that, so therefore yeah. we're going to have to pull our campaign. And it just So, yeah, you end up seeing these people who are just shells of their own personality giving I, yes, no I answers. do like the old boy from Hess. I think he's about the only one he's who great. I could go for a drink with and have a right laugh. Yeah, he's but. great. He's brilliant. And, and I think there's even been suggestions of offshoots from the um, Drive to Survive for Gunter Steiner to have his own yeah. program because <laughs> he just tells us how yeah, he is, yeah, isn't he? Yeah. He's quite traditional. I, I'd be quite happy, obviously not in Formula One, but if in my lives our paths had crossed and he'd be my team manager, yes. I would have loved working with him. I think you'd have been two uh, keys in a pod. Yeah. <laughs> just one more flux here and we must get off to bed. It's three. We'll yeah. be up at seven. We've got, yeah, we've got qualified at eight. <laughs> yeah. So... A bit, I guess the bit that we haven't talked about yet is the business of driving because you get into the cars. Oh, that and comes a second nature. Don't even have to think about it. So that that's a great point you make because some people find it. Some people are you know trained into it. They receive a lot of training and can become great racing drivers. Would you describe yourself as a, a you know as a natural ability? Yeah, I can jump into any. Once I got to about twenty six, twenty seven, I could just jump into anything without thinking at all you know just go in the right place but what I was that gave me a massive learning thing in my head about how a car should handle because I didn't have to think about the driving or gear changing so you could actually think how can I improve this car because you didn't have that aspect to deal with yes so and that's where I became a well sought after test driver because I could make people's cars by communicating with right people either the, the race engineer or the designer, yeah. and go, this, this is where we can improve. Because that, I didn't have to think about the driving. Surely. Mm. That's so valuable. Like, that's yeah. so, so valuable in a team. Um, that you know, Certainly from my experience as well, there's, there's, there, there are people that are blisteringly fast in the car, but they either don't know why they're fast or they don't really know how to feed back to, to the engineer about yeah. the car, which is just as important. It is. And you know, when you know you turn up on the grid... Um, you're sitting on the start line and you know all the details that have gone into all the little bits, you know, unless you actually f*** up on the start, that you've probably won the race Yeah. because yeah. your car is that much better the, than your opposition. That's a, that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And as you say, Miles, you know, certainly even in this modern era where so much is carried through through data technology and, you know, telemetrics and often there's uh, the teams in the pit lanes that will be able to analyse what a car's doing, what the engine's doing. Uh, sorry to interrupt, no, but yeah. that is such a valid point you just brought mm. up because the, the the honesty of myself and the engineer, we, we didn't have all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, sorry, the privilege of being able to use that stuff because sure. it probably obviously would have helped. But 
you know, the engineer or designer relied totally on me mm -hmm. being honest with him and saying, if it was shit, it was shit. If it was great, it was great. You yeah. know, not everything works. Sometimes you have to go, well, that hasn't worked. Yeah, that's but fact. now they go, oh, well, data says this and the data says that. That's right. Absolutely yeah. right. And you're measured, you, you as a driver are measured to get to, to the nth degree. Yeah, you can't you? lean, when you've over-revved the engine, you can't lean round as before you come down the pit lane and flick it back to zero and yeah. give it a rev and <laughs> yeah. go, it's fine, as it's rattling away. <laughs> don't know what now. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's fascinating. The, the, the part I'm also interested in is because actually... We, you know, we realise that we know a lot of people mutually, um, although we've never met, but before, but so many people that we know have done certain series uh, that were sort of billed to be the, the elite at the time, you know, like the TVR Tuscans, they were not, by all accounts, they were very, very powerful and very difficult cars to drive, but it's produced some fantastic racing drivers and you were a big part of that. It did, and really, the TVR Tuscan thing, although it came out in 1989, there's one race that set the whole TVR Tuscan challenge off, and that was 1993 at Donington. There was the shootout for touring cars, which Nigel was involved with, but Nigel also had a TVR dealership, or using his name, so Nigel was going to do the Tuscan race, and all of a sudden, the people who had been basically TVR dealers who have been racing all year suddenly thought here's an opportunity to promote ourselves we better get some pro drivers in and sadly Nigel didn't make the race because he'd fallen off in front of TIFF and hit the the bridge so off to hospital so he did qualify but not the race sadly that's that's just but, for avoidance of doubt that's tiff nadell who uh who, oh who, did he write the forward of, of my book i've forgotten there's it his, his name is <laughs> just at the very bottom of the book there <laughs> he's an animated character himself tiff isn't he yeah, so i can only good. imagine the two of you uh had oh, some yeah. had a fair few escapades in yeah we, we did we've raced all sorts of things against each other he was my best man at my wedding oh lovely probably why we got divorced not me and tiff <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say i didn't read that wow. yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's amazing just what one race going back to what made the tvr tuscan challenge it it literally then just exploded in 94 there was like 30 cars on the grid 95 40 cars 96 best part of 50 cars were having to have two heats and a final because they're really so unheard so, of now. and it really goes back to that one race a bit like british touring cars was made popular in 1992 by the john cleland steve soper incident at silverstone when tim won the championship yeah. you know that really put touring cars on the map yeah yeah that if anyone's wondering what that moment is, go go to YouTube now and have a look because it's fantastic. It's John Cleland and is it Tim Harvey? No, Steve Soper. Steve Soper, sorry. Hit. Steve in the BMW, of course. Yeah. Um, and they have a coming together at Silverstone, yeah. right? At Luffield. At Luffield. And Two it's, laps to go. With the onboard camera as well, is absolutely fantastic. And the way that John Cleland leaps out of the A man's car. a f***ing animal. <laughs> That, that interview is absolutely good old Murray. It's famous. It's brilliant. Um, so go and have a look at that. But yeah, to your point, uh, touring cars absolutely just exploded into life after yeah. that. And much more in modern times. I might be speaking out of turn, but the the last Grand Prix of two thousand and twenty one with Lewis and Verstappen. Oh yeah. You know mm. that probably helped Formula One no end for viewers the following year yeah you're absolutely right i think you're absolutely right everyone loves the bit of drama they love to they love to have a, a story to follow don't they so yeah. it's i'm still waiting of... for the cigarette girls to come back <laughs> <laughs> 
aren't we all? <laughs> they were the days. <laughs> I love that the... I, well, you remember, obviously, when the cigarette sponsors obviously disappeared, but then yeah. the, they were they were then finding all sorts of different ways to still sort of sponsor it, but not, if That's you know right. what I mean. Yeah, because they're still think, on the Ferrari, aren't they, to this day? It, it, there's a, definitely a, there's a nod to it, isn't yeah. there? Because Ferrari got in trouble with because of Marlborough, who put the... Wasn't it the barcode yeah. from yes. the cigarette yeah. packet? Yeah. Which yeah. I thought was just yeah. genius. Like, we're not, we're yeah. not saying cigarettes at all. There's no not even a reference to cigarettes. But it just so happens that that series of white stripes yeah. on our back spoiler is the barcode from like... the back of a packet well, of Marlborough. Even on the front of my book, I still give the nod to cigarettes. <laughs> because Embassy of Cigarettes. Brilliant. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. But not, not the one I've got in my hand, obviously. I don't smoke them anymore. I've always smoked Marlborough Gold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Marlborough Gold, if you're listening, Ian yeah. was open to sponsorship yeah. deals. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So Ian, um, tell us a little bit about some of those some of those rogue stories that possibly didn't make it in to the book because I can imagine there had to be some sanitization before it went to print. Yes, yeah, and actually, in just to, to sort of aid with that question as well. So you've this has been has it been co-authored, or you've had somebody who's yeah, Matt, Matt wrote it. So it's all, all my words. So there's 29 hours of um, on your laptop talking. You yeah, yeah. Away. And uh, so I, I yeah, I'd, I'd like to explore that. I can imagine the process of Matt sits you down. The two of you are perhaps in a room going right. No, we always did it at the pub. Perfect. Even and better. You can tell we normally start at about half three. And you can tell by six o'clock how much more animated and how much more swearings <laughs> crept into it. So yeah, and then we used to stop at eight. So what we want is the stories that made Matt go. Yeah, we yeah, probably aren't going to put that one in. Yeah. Um, so we're yeah, let's go. For Actually, the, the most popular. No, there's a great story in the book which people have cottoned on to, but uh, I won't spoil that. But the the, the we obviously. Um, with the cigarette girls in the 70s when I was working for Graham Hill, there were embassy girls, Marlborough girls, JPS girls, and they used to bang us all in the, the same hotel. And obviously the girls would prefer a Formula One driver, but, you know, a Formula One mechanic, as far as we were concerned, was the next best option because <laughs> <laughs> there was more of us than there were drivers. <laughs> so it, that, the hotels were a riot, absolute I riot. I can imagine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was 18 and 19 then. Yeah. So uh, I, li- I feel like I've lived such a sheltered life. No, oh, you have. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly feel like perhaps we were born in the wrong era. <laughs> yeah. I say this often. Many yeah, times, I, yeah. I, honestly, John, I just think I was so lucky that mum and dad shagged when they did because <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't do what I've done at Miles' age now. No. No, indeed. He'd be in serious trouble. Well, I think I'd be in hospital, probably. <laughs> <laughs> On an IV trip. Sir, I've got some KY with me. You'll oh, be right. God! <laughs> oh, God! Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> so, yeah, for a bit of context, the book... Um, the book appeared, or you started to record it in 2019. Is that no, right? no, no. I retired in 2019. In 2019, no, it was so, 21. Yeah, we started. The first day was April the 7th, 2021. And how did how did the idea come about? Because you know, I, it presumably you didn't. Did you go? I want to write a book. No, or? no. I I've talked about it for years, but um, absolutely jack about it. And my son's always been, Dad, you should really write a book. Yeah. And then out of the blue, Eric Vernon Rowe, who is Evro Publishing, yes. rang me, and I didn't even believe it was him. I had to ring him back because I thought it was a mate taking the piss, <laughs> who's great at voiceovers. And uh, it was true. And when the first bit of money arrived, I realised it was really true. Awesome. Oh, and a contract as well. Well, that, that's always yeah. nice when it's in writing. Yeah, but I did like, I did like the money here in the bank. That really gave it, oh, your God, this is happening. Yeah. So over the course of, what, 18 months or so? Yeah, we got it all. Sadly, because Matt James is also the editor of Motorsport News and yeah. he has to get that out on a Monday yes. to be out in the shops on Wednesday, sorry, online, um, he was really busy, short-staffed, and we actually got it all finished for October last year. Yeah. But Eric said, we've missed the Christmas opportunity. We're just going to have to put it on hold. So... It took us 18 months to do it, basically, mm. but we have didn't release it to June this year because um, Eric said, you know, the, they're publishers, I'm not. They, I, yeah, they know I, the yeah. business. I know what time the last bell is in the pub. I don't know anything else much these days. <laughs> Sometimes I forget that and it's four in the morning. <laughs> Depends how friendly the landlord is. Oh, it? very. <laughs> if you're ever in Newport Pagnell, come to the Dove. It's just behind Newport Pagnell Services. <laughs> I, First drinks on Ian. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. After you bought a book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll start talking once you've bought a copy. <laughs> it must be, I'm always excited to talk to people that have written books, especially with such flourishing and varied careers, because it must unlock so many memories. You must have got to oh. a point where you sat there going, oh my God, I'd absolutely forgotten about this. Yeah. And you're so right. The jerking of that, oh my God, and this. Yeah, and yeah. God, I missed that. Yeah. 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 Oh, can we go back? I've just thought of something else. Yeah, of course. Have you had many since the book's been completed and published that you've then thought, oh, my God, I've missed a complete... Well, yeah, I honestly have. I mean, I really think with what was on the cutting room floor and what I've remembered, should it ever be wanted to be done, I think a, a volume two would be a lot easier to do than volume one. <laughs> Suddenly, everyone that has escaped... Has breathed a sigh of relief. Yeah, has just gone, <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no, there's another one coming. Um, yeah. Also, I was very, very lucky. Just thought of this one. Yeah. John just reminded me. Yeah. You know, to to work for two world world champions who were around, known around the world, Graham Hill and Giacomo Agostini. You don't realise at the time, but you know, you're obviously a bit of a sponge, and you see particularly how humorous Graham was, and how elegant and gentlemanly and courteous that Ago was. Mm. That. I think in your subconscious, you, you, you do take that on board at, at, at that age and go, you know, oh, God, you know, you you weren't three times world champion and 11 or 12 times what Ago was without being 
brilliant at what you're doing. Yes. But to carry, like when I worked for Aggo, he was came to Cars and was in the Williams FW06 and we ran him with Ian Dyer, who was Senna's mechanic, in the British series in 79. And Marlborough, basically, because of he won their first ever championship, I think, in 77 for Yamaha, he had Marlborough backing for the rest of his life, as long as he wanted it. Mm. You know, it was only cigarettes being banned that Ago would still be having his own team running Marlborough today. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And to be thought that highly of, yeah, don't worry about the money. <laughs> we just keep supplying it. It's amazing. Isn't it? I mean, you can't imagine any sort of like gentlemen's agreements like that going on no, these days without no. there being 16 contracts and 10 lawyers per yeah. contract all wanting to get their say in how it all works. Just a nice little touch about Aggo. So we were at Alton Park on a test day and some kids came over. It must have been a half term or something. Um, one of them had a, like a little Italia jet, mm -hmm. mini, mini scrambler type thing. Yeah. And... Uh, his dad must have said in the background, there's Agostini over there, I'll stay over here and you and your mate go over. And uh, so he came over and said, oh, you know, can I have your autograph? And so he signed the tank and then he sat on this kid's bike, unbeknownst, we're all chatting and yeah, carrying yeah. about and having a sandwich and everything. Anyway, Ian Dar nudged me and he went, Ago has not put his foot down. He's sat on that bike with his feet on the pegs for like 10 minutes. Just chatting away. Yeah, yeah. Bars turned a bit. So after the kid went and I go, when we called the kid back, say, so, and like we had a go, and like we managed eight seconds or twelve seconds, and Ago had sat on it for ten minutes. Wow, wow. Just like holding a conversation, just balancing yeah. away. That's unbelievable. I'm, 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 there's, there's a few names that you that you've mentioned, which um, which I'm keen to talk about because they are so big, you know. And we talk about the. At the Formula One era, and obviously Graham Hill, somebody like that, you know, we I think we we still hold in such high esteem. Was that was it? What was was the man how we perceived him to be? Uh, yes, for me, but no for the mechanics. He did make the, the mechanics' life hell. We used to have a team meeting on a Tuesday when the truck normally got back from the previous Grand Prix. Graham would arrive in the afternoon, and there'd be a job list compiled. And in those days, there was no, you, you, it was a full time job. No, you didn't. It, once the season started, it was seven days a week. Wow. Uh, and, well, you were free once the truck went and then you flew the next morning, but that was it. So you work all weekend and then you, next time you see Graham, it was like on the Wednesday before the truck was leaving on the Thursday. Yeah. And he said to the mechanics, like, What's this? Okay, well, this is the bit on the job list. Oh, I didn't mean to do it like that. And, you know, they'd end up working all night to. No, he, he was quite cantankerous with them but he didn't affect me because obviously I was only the junior and uh, yeah I just heard them muttering after he'd gone <laughs> okay so um let's uh let's fast forward to some cars as well that we that we know and celebrate to be very very famous like the Jaguar like the X XJR 15 Etc. These Group C cars that we still know to be monsters of the day. Yeah, you spent a lot of time in those, right? I did. I was very lucky, but I was absolutely moved last year. The McLaren F1 GTR won the British Champion GT Championship in '96. Yeah, G uh, was owned by a guy called Jake Ulrich, who I shared the driving with, and that, he put that car into mothballs at the end of October 1996. 
and Jacob paid 400 grand for it at the start of the season, second hand from Ray Bell. Uh, Jake then sold it in June 2013 to, I think, Aaron So for £8.5 million. Aaron then moved it on and moved it on. Anyway, I got a phone call from a guy called Greg last April. He said, oh, I know the guy who's bought your McLaren. He would absolutely love if you could come down and sit in it. Can you bring some ovals, trophies, mm. reminisce? And he'd like to... So I took Lucy down with me and uh, sat in it and jokingly said, can I fire it up? And he said, yeah, go on. And remembered how to do it. And just sitting in it with it running, and not like you're just overcome with... I didn't think, you know, you could be like that about a car. Mm. Or, I, or I was kicking myself with emotion because I'd found out he'd just paid £22 million for it. Oh, and oh, I wow. thought, if I'd had been on 1% when I drove for Jake rather than a grand a day, I would be considerably better off. Yeah, wow. It's amazing. I mean, it, it, it's so true, isn't it? You, I think to the non-petrol head, the, the non-car person, and, and we're fortunate that I think almost every single person that's going to be listening to this podcast is is somebody that can associate with the emotional connection with cars, which non-motoring people just don't get, do yeah. they? It's a bizarre concept that we can have any sort of emotional attachment or the the sound or the, or the startup procedure of an engine might trigger some sort of emotional memory. But this is one of the things I love talking to. And in fact, a few weeks ago, Miles and I were wandering around at Goodwood and talking to the likes of Jackie X and, and, and some of the, uh, the older drivers. Uh, Derek Bell is somebody I've been very fortunate to do lots of work with over the years. And always hearing people like Jackie and Derek talking about the cars that they drove and then being reunited with them at events yeah. like the Goodwood Revival or the Festival yeah. of Speed and hearing them almost turn back into a 22-year-old again. Well, like I said about the front cover of my book, you yeah. know, to be reunited. Well, not reunited because I only ever worked on it. I was only 19. Mm. But to then get the privilege of driving that car that yeah. it was right at the start of your career. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, yeah, and that, and you know, like you say, it's the start of your career. You don't at that point really know where it's where it's going or where it's headed. Well, you... sadly, none of us do, do we? No, of course you don't. Yeah, you can have a road accident on the way home. Well, yeah, precisely that, and and you know, so many, you know, we've spoken, like I said before, we started recording. We you know, we've spoken to the like, we've spoken to so many racing drivers over the years. Um, you know, Martin Donnelly as well tells a fantastic story. Obviously, his career cut short by. Yeah, but he should be dead. By you know, that, the size mm. of that accident. And, you know, when you, when you see it again, I mean, I, I remember watching it at the time. Yeah. But when you keep seeing it, you can see it again now. You think, oh my god, how's he still alive? For sure. Yeah, and he 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 doesn't shy away from that at all, does he? He's yeah. like, no, I I really shouldn't be here. Do you want a quick Martin Donnelly story? Always, absolutely. So uh, we in two thousand and six, uh, Mazda approached. I'd raced for them in two thousand five. There was. It was the first time there was a 24-hour race at Silverstone. Mm. So I'd race for Mazda then. And then next year, all of a sudden, Martin's involved as well. Anyway, so he rang me up and he said, Oh, Foxy, what did you get last year? I said, two grand and a pair of new ovals. Hmm. And he said, well, we're not having that. I said, he said, that's pathetic. Leave that to me. Anyway, he got us seven grand. <laughs> obviously, I had to give him a grand for his negotiation. <laughs> it was obviously worth it. Not one to be left out of a yeah, deal, Donnelly. Yeah. Um, brilliant, yeah. And the reason why I bring that up is because you're, there, was, there have been particular highlights of your career. Five championships doesn't happen by accident. Not one bit. How? What do you think was the... What was the ticket to you... Clearly, you've got some driving ability. 
being in the right car and the right day. And, and do you think that's yeah, that's yeah, a big yeah, part of it? Yeah, yeah. But obviously, there's one day that absolutely stands out in my life above all others. Obviously, working with Graham Hill, I've known Damon since he was 15. October the 13th, 1996, we got up as a family to cheer Damon on winning Japan and the Formula One Championship, took the kids to the grandparents, went back to Silverstone and raced. At half past two, I became the British GT champion in the McLaren, and at four o'clock, I became the TVR Tuscan champion. And that was all one day. And you think... Wow. On the same that, day? All on October the 13th. Come on. Wow. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Into, into, I mean, the F1, is the, you're talking about the F1 GTR. Yeah. That that's a car that has certainly escaped me and many others because mm. it's it's the rocking horse car, isn't it? Drive it bri- driving it in period in the British GT and winning and winning <clears throat> is huge, absolutely huge. How, when that, oh, I can imagine, in fact, well, tell us what was that? What was the call like to say, Ian, this is happening? You're going to be in the seat of that car. This oh, it, it was all predestined because. Uh, Jake Ulrich came over from America and did TVR Tuscans. He not needed a driver coach, and I was recommended by John James. James, come on, sorry. That's right. And so I coached James, uh, Jake in the whole of 1995. Got it. He said he wanted to progress to GT, so we were, we were a good, strong team by then. And mm. um, we looked at various cars. I knew Paul, Paul Lanzanti really well from days of old. Yeah. And obviously Paul's organisation had won Le Mans for McLaren in 95. Mm. And I said to Jake, you know, w- w- this is really a no-brainer that I know Paul, he's won Le Mans, he's got all the right people. He's told me Ray Bell was selling both his cars because he's replacing them with brand new ones. You know, let's just go down and pick which one you want. Amazing. I, I think it's worth pointing out as well. So we've got, we get an amazing variance of age listeners to our podcast. And, um, yeah. I'm only 12. Yeah. <laughs> got a whole, whole life in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> Just been a tough paper round of it. But, yeah, I always like to remind people, especially for our, the benefit of our younger listeners, who, when they think of McLaren as a brand now, they think of very fast road cars. But for an awful long time, it, well, in fact, it wasn't really until like the early 2000s or beyond. I'm trying to think with the MP4, 12, 2012. 2012. So prior to 2012, McLaren made racing cars exclusively. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. And they did put an F1 on the road. So early 1990s, the McLaren F1 did go on as a road car. But that was an absolute... Like one in a million chance that this racing car manufacturer had produced a car. They're so valuable because the whole project failed. Well, that's it. This yeah, is the, the, they wanted to sell three hundred and fifty road cars. Yeah, that was uh, all based around. Yeah, and yeah. they sold forty four. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's take us back then to that time, and I mean, we look at the we look at the car now, the the F one, both the road car F one and the F one GTR as just. They are absolute halo cars now. And as you say, the values of them have gone through the roof. And I think, I think I'm right in saying that uh, the designer himself, and uh, Gordon Murray, has ended up having to sell his car because it's simply just uneconomical to insure it these days because they're all worth about 20 million quid. Minimum. Yeah, absolutely. Did it, to you as a driver in that era, did it feel so much better than anything no, else? No, it was a pile of... Really? Uh, yeah, I told Ron Dennis uh, that in 1995 I was the Motor and News track tester for 10 years. 
and I got invited to test the Harrods one after Le Mans yes. at Silverstone wow. Grand Prix circuit. Well, in the morning, I'd been there in my Tuscan because we had a race coming up. And so the McLaren was 625 grand. A Tuscan was 25 grand or 28 grand. And I was only two seconds quicker in the McLaren on the same day on the same track than I was in the McLaren. So in the report, I put, how can Ron Dennis justify for two seconds? It's an extra 600 grand. I got myself in more. I bet he loved loved that. (laughs) But, you know, honest feedback. You've got to accept it. That's that. That's really interesting. I was actually, funnily, it's funnily enough, I was listening to a podcast with Dave Clark uh, only the other day. Yeah, because you know he's really bad, don't you? No. Dave Clark from McLaren. Dave, yeah. He, yeah, he's really ill. Is he? Yeah. I didn't he, know that. He had a tumour. Oh, what? What a shame. Oh, yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that. Couldn't all. walk and couldn't talk. Oh, wow. And this is three months ago. Christ. Oh, wow. Well, our, our thoughts go out to Mr. Clark. Mm. Um uh, absolutely but he he so he he talks very fondly of those as he would because he sold his harrods one for 32 million he did all right wow. he did all right but yet yeah, but to your point yeah um they they had aspirations to sell lots of ro- lots of road cars and it yeah. just it didn't happen but like you say that car actually when you when it comes down to driving it as a race car it, it just didn't really work, did it? No, the worst thing about the one I raced was we had a, an uh, engine was great, yeah. But I had an old fashioned H pattern gearbox, mm. and it was as slow as a like Porsche nine five six. That that was always slow as well. But when it, for the new cars, the long tail ones, they put a sequential box in it, yeah. and that was so much better to drive, mm. especially in the wet. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's amazing hearing that side of it because I think it is such a halo car that vast majority of people that have been perhaps only lucky enough to see one from afar or stand next to one have these romantic visions of it just must be such a magical thing to drive. So to hear someone like yourself go, well, actually, <laughs> not as good as not as good as you might think. It's, uh, yeah, that's that's really interesting. That's fascinating. There must be some There must be some cars, though, that do stand out as... Cars that you perhaps got into, and then for the first time, that first few laps, you thought, "My God, this this thing is just a cut above uh, the rest." I, I've got a good touching story along those lines. So, for years, I tested um, for Harry Leventus the Aston Martin DBR1 that won Le Mans. I've, I've driven it like 15, 16 times, mm. but never raced. I only tested it because the team liked my feedback. Anyway, so this is. Uh, think 14 2014 13 anyway it was end of august and obviously the revival as you were there last weekend mm-hmm. takes place and they rang up and said oh we've got a gearbox and diff to run in at mallory which is where we always used to go on a wednesday morning mm-hmm. anyway bowl round for 50 odd laps running and came in and said right okay then tim samways who run the operation said right go and give it five proper laps and always five proper laps in that was somewhere in the 48s, as long as it was either 48.1 or 48.9, depending on the traffic. Anyway, I came in after doing a few 48s and said it was all good. And he said, did you enjoy that, Flaxie? And I said, Tim, what's wrong? I've driven for you for 12 years. I've tested this car God knows how many times. Why did you ask me that? He said, well, we didn't want to tell you, but Harry sold the car on Monday for £21 million. And when I asked you to do make sure it was all right and do the 48s, 
and we didn't want to put that pressure on your shoulders because wow. you, you wouldn't have slung it around like you just have. Bless the hell. Yeah, and he's probably right, <laughs> he's isn't he? He's probably yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, even I've got a degree of responsibility. <laughs> I like to keep my reasonable reputation on the track in town. I don't believe you for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I um, find the uh, the conversation about mechanical sympathy with racing drivers a really interesting one because it's always a diverse reaction. There are some that I find, and it's often the ones you don't expect, are the most sympathetic to the value of a car or, of course, the mechanical sympathy and making sure the car's going to get through an endurance race. And you speak to others who are just like, no, I'm there to do my job. If the car fails, then that's not my fault. So uh, where, uh, right. where do you sit in that? Well, I've t- taught myself mechanical sympathy and accidents because I lived on prize money from 1974 to 2000 when it was all stopped. Wow, yeah. And e- even if you were coming fifth and getting 100 quid, bearing in mind you're talking 80s, yeah. late 80s. Went a long way. Yeah, a couple of school days with Ian Taylor, 200 quid a day. An extra hundred quid, you know, you you were still having a great life yeah, on yeah. five hundred quid. You were making a career. So out of it. everything about my racing was get it to the finish. Okay, if there's a championship and it's the last corner on the last lap, and it's the difference between winning it or, or not. Yes. Okay, you know, take the person out or crash it, but at least have a go. But other than that, you know, I want the you get points. The car's in one bit if you finish, and you get prize money that helps you live. Because you used to get a basic allowance for fuel and hotels or travelling, mm. but then I get 50% of all the prize money. Perfect, yeah. Fascinating. So, of course, if the car doesn't survive, then you don't get your yeah, money. Yeah, and prize money literally was yeah. first to sixth. Well, Obviously, yeah. there was more for first, second and third, so you always wanted to be on the rostrum. Mm. So if you're on the rostrum, the car's in one bit because you finished and you get some money. Wow. And the prize money was always good, like in Tuscans. If I had a clean-up weekend, I'd get 600 quid on mm. top of my 250 quid travelling and hotel. That'd probably just about cover the beer tab, would it? Oh, no, somebody else would buy that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always very great. I'm very good at delegating who round, who's round it is. Hang on. Write that, John, write that and down. And it's yours, yeah. Miles. Don't go drinking with Ian. Yes, yeah. Oh, drinking what was the name story of that pub to you, avoid? You two. Yeah. <laughs> so this is 1998. And Richard Hay, I'm sure you've dealt with Richard over the years to make all the films, uh, Hay Fisher Productions. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Anyway, Richard rings up and he said, oh, Fluxy, I think you'll make a good commentator. (laughs) (laughs) We'd like to give you a try. So he said, come up to the... We we had a race, at Tuscan race at Snetterton, and my car caught fire, so I wasn't in it. So he said, come up and commentate on that, because obviously, you know, you'll tell us what you were missing. Anyway, so... uh, when I get there, he said, oh, there's, first of all, we got a, we're running a bit late and this plate hasn't turned out. We've got a stock car race to commentate on f- from Brayfield. I said, well, I know nothing about it. He said, oh, here's a programme, look at some numbers. And, and I, I was absolutely rubbish. And anyway, they said, oh, that was great, that's great. I said, well, I'm sure it wasn't, but, you know, there's the red car, old green car, who's driving, <laughs> what's his name? Yeah, yeah. yeah losing the plot completely. Yeah. Anyway, they said, well, 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 to celebrate how well you've done there, let's have a few beers. So we, uh, there was some cans of Stella in the fridge, and I about three cans of Stella. And while we're up, almost finishing this, and I'm thinking I'm going to go, um, I have Matt James with us as well. And Richard said, oh, just for a laugh, Luxie, why don't you do a proper commentary on that Snetterton Tuscan right? Say what you f***ing like. <laughs> anyway, so... It, there's Bobby Vernrose on pole, and my opening line is, "There's that 
cheeky, cheating Bobby Vern Road <laughs> with his oversized works engine. <laughs> anyway, never gave it another thought. So yeah, did this commentary. Never gave it a thought. We all had a good laugh. Fast forward to November. It's the TVR Tuscan Prize giving at the Metropole in oh, Birmingham. No. Anyway, so uh, they normally have something a bit different. And I said to Ben Samuelson, the PR guy, oh, what's happening this year, Ben? I haven't heard much about, you know, what's the what's the attraction and have we got a new comedian or something? He said, oh, yeah, it's all sorted out, folks. You'll see when it happens. <laughs> anyway, so Ben stands up, you know, after everybody's had a few drinks and dinner. He said, oh, we've got something different for you this year, ladies and gentlemen. It's a bit below the belt. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to play a minute of it. And if you don't like it, we won't play anymore. But if you do, you can have the rest. Great. And I thought, <laughs> this. This will be good. Yeah. Yeah, so the screen music. And the first thing that I heard, there's that cheating Bobby Vernon. Oh, <laughs> no, oh. And so they did a minute and shut it down. And Ben said, right, who wants to hear the rest? And without exception, everyone, yes. Brilliant. <laughs> oh and I God. rubbished every driver in that Brilliant. race. Oh, brilliant. We have to find that tape. Yeah. I've, got, I've got it. Have you really? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, that's, that's yeah, I'm not surprised by any of that, I have to say. Um, I think at this point we uh, will go, well, I need, to, I, need to go and, I need to go and have a lie down. And, Are we going uh, to the toilets together? Yes, definitely not. <laughs> no, I'm going to go first. I'll, I'll <laughs> there's plenty of room in there, Miles. Uh, no, 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 there definitely isn't. I don't, no, know, no, I don't, no, know, no, I don't no. know what the problem is. So, Ian, I feel like there's an awful lot of stories that we're not going to hear in this, you know, the time that we've got together. And, of course, that's always the way when we get restricted time. But it's probably an important time that we direct our dear listener to the book because I think we've... Would you be fair? Would it be fair in saying we've, we've just scratched the surface on uh, on some of the stories? Yes, that, uh, we have, and, uh, and hopefully it's given everybody a small appetizer as to how how much fun is in the book. And I'm so grateful for the people who've already uh, magazines and things that have received it, and the, yeah. the feedback and the, the promotion of. Uh, well, I'm shocked for words that how lovely people have been about it. That's brilliant. Oh, that is brilliant. Well, you can find the details of where to get the book. Don't worry, we're not wrapping up just yet, but I thought I'd mention it now just in case people have heard enough to go, I need to get I this ordered. So, yeah, scroll well, down so. to the show notes. You'll see there some links through uh, to where you can find the book. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just... I, I can't wait to have a read myself. I think it's going to be absolutely One, one thing I've learned, uh, which I didn't have a clue about, is mm. about how books are sold. Yeah. And uh, so I asked um, Eric Vernon Rowe how things are going. He said, it's very difficult to tell, Flux. I went, well, how's it difficult to tell? He said, well, Amazon work for 120 days behind. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, 120 days. Wow. I learned a good fact, which is uh, which is one for you. you. Can keep this one as a freebie. If you ever get the opportunity to write a book, which you have, and you ever get the opportunity to do a book signing, yeah, in a bookshop, yeah, this is the crucial bit. Usually, you get invited in about an hour or so before the crowds turn up, yeah. and you get the opportunity to pre-sign a few books. The top tip is sign as many as you can, all of them. Just scribble your name in every single one. Do you know why? No, because a signed book is a sold book guaranteed oh fantastic they, they can't thank, send the signed books back yeah so if you get that call yeah. get them half you, an hour early oh, and love that. just scribbling yeah. everything and they're I, all sold I, I feel like yeah so, <laughs> Ian's going to employ like 20 people yeah. to come yeah. and write yeah. a signature right. in the yeah. books now too right <laughs> 
yeah. I, that's that's yeah. I, I love that fact. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh well, that, that's my that's paid for my petrol getting it. <laughs> Too easy. <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, so Ian, that in the uh, in the blurb on the back, we there's there's a suggestion that some of the there was a lot of high points in the racing. Yeah. But then there were some setbacks as yeah. well and some darker parts. Anything you're keen to talk about? Well, I think basically the setbacks were, you know, done by me. Uh, I can remember I, a British Grand Prix support race in 1987 at Silverstone, uh, Brands, or 86. Um, I qualified on the front row with a car that shouldn't have been on the front row. So celebrating that fact. Then I got approached in the Kentigan by... Tech Speed, Gil Baird, who owned Tech Speed, and he said, look, Flexi, with that sort of performance, we want to put you in a Formula 3... There's a new series coming out for British Formula 3000 next year. Don't have to bring any money. Turn up, and we share the prize money. Anyway, so I now started to need to celebrate that on top of my front row. So I was absolutely bollocks about 11 o'clock, and it was a hot night, and the Kentigan doors were open to Brands, and I tripped over the step... <laughs> And I landed at the tech speed team manager's feet, Marvin Humphreys. Oh, no. And he went, that's the end of that drive then, Fluxy. We can't have oh, you wow. like that. No way. <laughs> oh, wow. So I had, I did British Formula 3000 for the best part of an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. So That's got to be a record for, yeah. <laughs> for short-lived career. Well, I, I was also the youngest and shortest ever board member on the BRD, a director of the BRDC. I was 36 when I was the director, oh. and I think I was on it for 14 months before we all got kicked off the board for giving Tom Walkinshaw £5.7 million of the club funds without asking anybody. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Are you kidding? Oh, I, I had to go to the High Court three times because I was a director. That's why I'll never be a director of anything. I only joined the BRDC board of directors so I can get some extra passes I could flog for the British Grand Prix. Brilliant. But I didn't think I was going to end up in court and possibly losing my house over it because if we lost the case, we as directors, you're responsible. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But as it turned out, what had happened, Tom had got the accountants to write two different... Oh, what are they called? Uh, yeah, it's like, a some due, like some due diligence or whatever. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Due diligence. Yeah, OK. Yeah. Well, there was the copy the directors received, yeah. which we read uh-huh. and which we voted on. And then there was the real one, oh, God. which said this is a really bad idea, but we never saw that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I dread to think how many how many deals like that were done back in the day. Yeah. Oh, well, that's actually, funnily enough, that's something I wanted to ask, because I'm, again, always fascinated in the modern era of motorsport and yeah, the, the various stages that we have to go through with sponsorship and appraisals and this, that and the other. I've heard some fantastic well, stories. You mean all that time. bollocks? Exactly that, yeah, <laughs> all that bollocks. The um, How involved did you ever get as a driver with things like sponsorship deals and like with the fee negotiation? You well, get that great story about Donnelly you know, yeah. renegotiating things for you, which I think in the modern era just wouldn't happen anymore. I can't imagine Lewis Hamilton meeting somebody in the pub who's got a particular brand and going, all right, I'll get you on the side of my car. Well, obviously going back to 1978, I got very close when, uh, up close with the sponsorship proposals you could say that yeah you could say that when we talk yeah I, yeah we talk about getting couldn't get any closer people. i think that was intimate good grief <laughs> that was your that was the, that was fluxy's version of due diligence yeah <laughs> gross <laughs> well i hope it paid off well it did you've got a few sets of tires <laughs> 
<laughs> oh god, yeah. Well, but yeah, yeah. To, to, to John's point, and yeah. I love going to swinging clubs now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Just keep throwing me off here. Ian. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, like you say, things are done extremely differently now to to, yeah. to what they were. I can remember Shell at the end. Well, won the British Formula V Championship in 1975, and Shell wanted to continue sponsoring me in 1976. And it must have been October, and I took the contract in to because I knew Graham Hill was coming in on the Tuesday. Mm. So I took the contract in and I said, Graham, if you've got five minutes at some point of the day, could you just look over that for me? Mm-hmm. Anyway, he taps on the window and called me up to the office, and he said, "I'm just going to show you what, where to sign this." And he went, chucked it in the bin. He said, "You you were just about to sign your life away." He said, "You don't need a contract if you're good enough." They want you to race for you. If you if they're bad, they'll get rid of you. It's not complicated. Wow. Yeah. Again, don't see that in uh, modern day motorsport, do you? That's, that's just it's just so, it's just such a polar opposite now. Yeah. Such a polar opposite. Yeah. Um, talk to us about uh, you know for someone like yourself who's driven actually so many different cars. Six hundred over. Wow. Six hundred different, different race cars. cars. Yeah. I I can't think of many people that. Could possibly even achieve Ma- Marcus Pye is pretty close. Marcus Pye? Yeah, because of obviously all the autosport tests Yes, he did. of course. 600 race cars. Is there anything that... Was there a car that stuck out to you that you... If somebody said, yeah. Ian, you can get back into this car yeah. and race it now, what would it be? I was lucky enough to drive Schumacher's 2004 winning Ferrari at Donington on a test day. Wow. Uh, Martin... It was owned privately by Paul Osborne, who's a long-time mate, who's company's Cars International and Sky had hired it for Martin Brundle to do uh, a lunchtime session which Martin obviously did and I was working for Radical that day I think it was 2011 or 12 and about three o'clock in the afternoon Paul appeared in our garage and said do you fancy a go Fluxy? Wow. I went, are you joking? He said mate I wouldn't have wandered down here to try and find you if I was bloody joking. Come on. So I said to the Radical boys I think I'd better go and do this. Yeah. And Paul said, right, the only deal is we'll alter the belts for you, but we're not mucking about with anything else. Either you fit in Brundle's seat or you don't. Mm. And all they had to do was just uh, slightly shorten the crutch belt an inch and and I was ready to go, obviously. And uh, so I fired it up and then he went, so I turned it off and he leant in and he said, Fluxy, you know you can't afford to fix it if you crash it. So don't f- crash. Off you go. <laughs> Brilliant. No pressure. No. So he said, go out and do 10 laps. And I did eight. And I was just over a s- second away on the same set of tyres, a second and a half away from what Brundle had done wow. in the lunch hour. And I was out of traffic as well. Gosh. And I could do that. I did that with no trouble whatsoever. And I came in because I thought when they put the board up, I thought, well, it's only one and a half seconds slower than... Randall, oh, and I thought, as went down to Redgate, he said, I said, no, just call it a day yeah. because you're actually going to have to start trying now. Surely, yeah. And yeah. if you start trying, there's going to be an accident. So just come in and, and uh, Paul said, well, you, there was two more laps to go. I said, you said, don't crash yet. And I said, I did that that effortlessly. But Brilliant. I know I can find the other bit, but your car was going to be a bit more ragged. What an experience. And what a nice metaphor to end with. It's always important, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to know when to call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I always do it. I always do when they bring the tissues out. 
And that moment, ladies and gentlemen, is now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're meant for something else. I'm meant for the tears. <laughs> Your mind. Stop it. <laughs> Well, Ian, thank you. Uh, thank you for so generously giving us so much of your uh, uh, unfiltered approach to life and the stories. And it is, as I say, fascinating. I feel like we've only scratched the surface. If we were if we were going through pages in the book, I think we've probably only done about 10 pages. Yeah. So I can imagine that uh, the, the, the bits we haven't read, and heaven forbid, the bits that did make that cutting room floor, God can only hope they never see the light of day. Or, yeah. or, or, or volume two. Or volume, <laughs> or two. volume yeah. two. The only way to do it is get the first first one bought and uh, then write to the publishers saying, we want more. Well, I, I really hope some of your uh, listeners will be doing that for me. It's yeah. been great fun. I've really enjoyed it. And may I just say a massive big thank you to Sam Holman, who I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for Sam and his friendship with Miles and meeting John. Thank you both. Brilliant. Thank Very you. kind of you to say thank you, Ian. It's been brilliant having you on. Um, I very much, I think we both very much look forward to actually sharing a beer with you at some point yeah, that'd be and cool. obviously picking up the tab. <laughs> um, and yes, thank you to Sam for, for making the introduction. We, uh, you wouldn't be sat here without him. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you, dear listener. As ever, if you want to see everything that we do, head on over to the website driven.site where you'll see our entire back catalogue of all the episodes that we've recorded so far, as well as all the written articles we have and the news stories that we handpick for you. If you are joining us for the first time, don't forget to subscribe. We have got now... Uh, approaching 180 of these episodes that you can enjoy so go back have a look through at the conversations in fact some of the names that we have mentioned in this episode we have had podcasts with such as steve soper go and search it out because there are some fantastic stories in there uh, with the conversation i had with steve uh, a year or so ago uh, for now that leaves us to say a massive thank you thank you miles thank you john thank you ian Thank you very much, John. Pleasure, 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 pleasure. And thank you, dear listener. We look forward to bringing you more of the same, perhaps with uh, slightly more family-friendly language next week. <laughs> well, and also, if this is indeed the last episode because we've been cancelled, then it's been very much fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that's not the case. I will be forever guilty. Not at all, not at all. Thank you both. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Oh, wow, you've made it to the end, the very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.